Let's get into the, uh, the message at this time. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. We are continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians. Now, um, next week, I'm going to take another one-week pause to focus on baptism, to focus on baptism. And then the week after, we will jump back in again at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25 and on about, um, especially Paul's teaching, very important teaching about singlehood and and what that means and and, um, what the Bible has to say about that. So next week on baptism, and then we will jump back into 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25. Today, we're continuing on from verses 17 to 24. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 16. And um, if, if I were to summarize what was happening in verses 1 through 16, I would, I would put it this way. It was uh, Paul addressing the Corinthian church's misguided attempts at being more spiritual. Their misguided attempts, their misguided notions of what it meant to be more spiritual. And, and here's, here's a few of the, here's kind of how that discussion went. Um, the Corinthians said to Paul, hey, you know, in marriage, maybe married couples should stop having sex. You know, we're spiritual beings. Sex is such an earthly, fleshly type thing. And uh, as I said before, they were influenced by this Greek stoicism that was within the culture that looked down upon things of the flesh and earthly things and, and thought that the things of the spirit were above that. Paul says, no, in marriage, don't stop having sex. Not only is it a beautiful thing designed by God, it is also protective for you and guards you against sexual morality. So he says, keep on doing what you were doing before. There are some other people who said to Paul, well, now that we're Christians, I'm a Christian, my spouse is a Christian, maybe we should divorce because this way we can really, really focus on being Jesus' followers. I mean, if I'm married and I got to think about my spouse and there's so much going on and and it just takes up so much of my time and my energy, wouldn't it be better if we just divorced and then we could fully focus upon the Lord? Isn't that better? I mean, in heaven, there's no marriage, right? Why don't we, we don't have to wait for heaven. Right now, we can end it. Paul says, no, don't do that. Do not divorce. Stay married. Because even Jesus, when he talked about marriage, he said what God has brought together, don't let people separate. Don't let man separate. Um, And this is something that God said in the Garden of Eden, two shall become one flesh. So he says, no, stay together, do not divorce. Thirdly, one other thing. They said, okay, 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 Paul, fine, fine, fine. But certainly, here's the situation. I'm a Christian, I became a Christian, and, when, and now my spouse, my spouse did not believe in Jesus. So I came to know the Lord, but my spouse said, no, no thanks, not for me. And now I'm in this relationship where I'm a believer and my spouse isn't. Surely I should divorce my spouse. Now I should leave my spouse. I mean, how am I supposed to worship Jesus and follow Jesus when my spouse is out there worshiping Caesar and bowing down to him or worshiping Zeus or something like that. Certainly, Paul, you want me to divorce and leave my spouse in this situation. Paul says, no, do not divorce your spouse, even if your spouse is not a believer. Because again, marriage is sacred. Two has become one, two have become one. And, and that means do not separate from each other if your spouse is willing to stay with you. If your spouse is willing to say, oh, you're a Christian, huh? I don't know about that, but okay. 
I'll give it a shot. Let's stay together. Then don't leave your spouse. Stay together. Now, I don't know if you, you see a pattern here in what Paul is saying. But, uh, but if you don't, basically, Paul, if I were to summarize it again, he says, don't stop having sex. No, don't divorce. Don't leave your spouse. No, don't divorce. Don't leave your spouse, even if they're an unbeliever. What Paul is saying here, the gist of it is, stay as you are. Stay as you are. For the Corinthians, they were thinking, oh, in order to be more spiritual, I need to change my situation. I need to change my situation, my life situation, in order to be more spiritual. So far, Paul has said, no, 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 no. Stay as you are. And now, in verses 17 to 24, he really elaborates on this and drives this home. He says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, Paul, it, he starts off right away in verse 17, right? To, to kind of like to bring home that point of what he was talking about in, in marriage. He says, no, no, let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him. In other words, stay in the situation in which you find yourself. And in order to, to really bring this home, in order to really bring this home, he uses a couple of examples. Uh, circumcision and slavery. And now these are, these are two very, very extreme examples because Paul is trying to make a really powerful point here. The first one that he uses is circumcision. And he says, if when you became a Christian, were you circumcised? Don't try to remove the marks of your circumcision. Certainly not yourself, and don't try this at home. But there were people in those days who uh, would possibly try to undo their circumcision. Uh, maybe there were Jews living in this Greco-Roman society who wanted to fit in more with Greco-Roman society. And, you know, the man goes into the bathhouse, right? Bathhouses back then, a really popular thing. Everybody walks in naked. Right away, people know, you're a Jew, right? So maybe there were certain cultural uh, advantages that they could experience, that they could take advantage of, if they actually tried to remove the marks of their circumcision and blend in and become more like a Greek, more like somebody in the Hellenistic world. Some people did that. 
He says, were you uncircumcised when you became a Christian? In other words, you were not of Jewish background. You were a Gentile of background. When you became a Christian, you don't try to go and get circumcised now. Don't do that. And there was certainly pressure to do this as well. There were um, members of the church, particularly in Jerusalem, who used to be Pharisees, used to be religious, um, Jewish religious leaders, and then they, they became Christian, but they were still holding very tightly to the Mosaic law. And they were going around telling people, oh, you're a Christian, Gentile, you become a Christian? That's cool, but you still gotta get circumcised because us Jews, we've always gotten circumcised. The people of God have always gotten circumcised. That's something that's not negotiable. You still need to get circumcised. And Paul's saying, no, you don't need to. Were you a Gentile and you became a Christian? You do not need to be circumcised. And then Paul, he says here, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. And now, to us, we go, ah, you know, yeah. We, we understand what you're saying, Paul, but for a Jew back then, maybe even a Jewish Christian, they would have found this so jarring of a thing because circumcision served for them for thousands of years as a sign of the covenant between them and God. It was the sign of the covenant that said, we are your people, O God. And God said, this is how I'm marking you to know that you belong to me. It was a sign of their special standing with God for thousands of years. So for Paul to say, that doesn't matter at all. It doesn't count for anything was particularly jarring for them. Paul's saying, listen, the greatest ethno-religious divide that, that we know in the church, especially at that time, between the Jews and the Gentiles, this greatest divide is nothing. Don't try to change your situation. If you're circumcised, don't try to become uncircumcised. If you're uncircumcised, don't try to become circumcised. None of that matters. Stay in the situation in which you find yourself. He, the second example here that he goes into is with slavery or what they called um, being a bondservant there. And so if circumcision was the greatest ethno-religious divide that Paul could have picked to try to make a point that you don't need to change your situation, uh, slavery was the greatest socioeconomic divide that he could have chosen to make this point. Now, to understand this, and the reason why there's this term bondservant here as well, is because to understand slavery or being a bondservant back in those days, we, we do need to remember that this is not the same as chattel slavery in America in the 1700s, right? Like what we see in 12 Years a Slave, this just brutal, brutal existence under, under these slave owners oftentimes. Uh, but this was a different system. It, it wasn't great. Nobody wanted to be a bondservant, right? You, but it was more of a type of indentured servitude where maybe somebody had debts that he couldn't pay off. He had a tough time making a living. He had a tough time keeping a roof over his head and providing food maybe for him, just himself or maybe for his, his family, maybe for his children. And what they would do sometimes is they would sell themselves into indentured servitude to become a bondservant. And then they would sell themselves into another household and that person would be their master. And that person... The money that they used to purchase this person or this person's family would pay off their debts. And then this master would provide housing, 
uh, food, uh, basically their, their necessities. And actually, it was, it was a pretty good and viable choice for some people. In fact, some theologians say that up to one-third of the population of Corinth may have been slaves or bondservants. One-third of the population. So like in this room, it'd be like maybe in this church, a third, maybe a half of the people in the church at Corinth were actually in this position of being bond servants. So um, this, this definitely was different, but it wasn't a great situation to be in either. It was, in the Roman world, the lowest socioeconomic position that you could be in, aside from being like somebody in a, in a jail or a prisoner or something like that. But in terms of just the regular people in society, this was the lowest rung that you can be in. And what does Paul say? Paul says, don't worry about this situation that you're in. Why? Because whoever is called in the Lord as a bondservant, meaning, were you a slave at the time you became a Christian? Once you become a Christian, you've become a freed man. You've become a freed man. Not because you've gained your physical freedom, not because the master said, oh, you can go, you're free now, but because the reality is that even though physically you may be a slave, you have now been purchased by Christ and you are free in the Lord. You are free in the Lord. Your identity has fundamentally changed. You are no longer a slave, but the true identity of who you are is a freed man in the Lord. That's how God sees you. And he says, likewise, if you were free when you became a Christian, if you were not owned by anybody, you had financial means, you were doing okay in life, you had independence, you could do what you wanted to do. Maybe you actually were rich or, or owned a lot of property and maybe you had bond servants. Paul says, if that's you, when you became a Christian, you became a slave to Jesus. You have a, a new owner at that point, no longer to be owned by sin, enslaved to sin, but now you are a bondservant of Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Paul's saying it doesn't matter your situation in life. If you were a slave, now you are free in Christ. If you were free, now you are a slave to Christ. Either way, what matters is your identity in Jesus. That changes everything. That changes the whole game. Now, maybe you say, well, okay, so does that mean, you know, in my life situation, I don't know, if I, can, if I can get into a better situation that I shouldn't take it, like if my boss says to me, hey, I want to give you a 50% raise, I should go, nah, it's all right, I'm good, I'm good, free lunch is enough, the snack bar, and that's good, you know? It, it, does that, is that what it means? That if you get a promotion, you shouldn't take it, that um, if you can, you know, uh, have a change of career that would be better for you, that you shouldn't take it. No, that's not Paul's point here. Paul's point, we see in verse 21, he says, if you can gain your freedom, sure, go for it, take it, right? Yeah, Who, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be a bondservant. If you can become free, that opportunity comes, sure, go ahead. Maybe it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's something you should take and avail yourself of. But his point is what? Even if that opportunity to improve your situation is not there, don't be concerned about it. Don't worry. Don't be depressed. Don't think you have no future or hope. Don't worry about it because you know who you really are. You are free in Christ. 
You have a new master. You have a new Lord. His name is Jesus. And it changes the game. It changes the game. I would put it this way. Here's how I'd put this. If I were to sum up what Paul is saying, I think he's saying this. Your situation in life does not determine your potential in life. Let me say that again. Your situation in life does not determine your potential in life. Your situation in life does not control your potential in life. Your situation in life doesn't rob you of your potential in life. Because in Christ, we are free indeed. This is what Paul is saying to the, to the person who was married to a non-Christian. Who, and that person was saying, Paul, look at my situation. My situation, I can't serve God in this situation. How can I possibly be a devoted follower of Jesus in this situation? Obviously, I need to change my situation if I want to be holy. If I want to be able to pursue God, i got to leave my spouse. Paul says, no, that's not what it is. That person was saying, I need to change my situation in order to be holy. What Paul is saying, what you should be saying is, I'm going to let my holiness change the situation. That's what he's saying to that spouse. He's saying, no, no, no. You can sanctify your spouse. No, 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 no. Your kids can become holy through you. Trust in the Lord. Pray for them. Seek to be the light of Christ. And God can, in your situation, use you to affect those around you. You are not enslaved to your situation. Your situation doesn't determine your potential in life. Theologian Gordon Fee, he said, the call to Christ has created such a change in one's essential relationship with God that one does not need to seek change in other relationships with people. These latter are transformed and given new meaning by the former. Now, please know that you say, oh, well, oh, thank, I, I love that message, Ulysses. I, I'm in the mafia and I really wasn't looking forward to leaving. I think they may kill me if I do, so I could just stay there. And then, No, no. Just like in Corinth, if there were people who were uh, working as temple cult prostitutes, Paul wouldn't have said, you can remain in your situation. Certain things are just straight up unbiblical, not pleasing to God, uh, racketeering, murder, things like that. No, come out of those situations. But for the ordinary situations of life, including being a bondservant, an indentured servant in that Roman empire, Paul is saying, it's okay. Don't let it concern you. Your potential is not robbed from you. You can serve God fully where you are. I think this is so powerful and this is so needed, brothers and sisters, because how often, how often is it that we, we face those situations where we say, you know, Man, if, if only my situation would change, then I would really be able to pursue God. Then I would be able to live for the Lord. Man, God, you, you know, you know how difficult my, my boss is. Gosh, you know, if only, if only I got a different boss, then I'd be able to really follow you. Lord, you know, you know how tight my finances are. God, if you gave me a little bit more money, if you kind of gave me a promotion, then I'd be able to be more generous and be able to be more of a steward with my finances. 
Lord, you know how difficult my parents are. They're just making my life so hard, and, and I want to follow you, but they're giving me so much pressure and opposition, and, and you know, so what, what can I do, Lord? Man, if only, if only, if only. We face those situations all the time, and we're tempted to think, I need to change my situation first in order to become more spiritual. I know that um, you know, my, in my own family, my, my wife, Christine, she experienced so much of this as she shared with me over the years, um, especially when she became a mom, when we had our kids, Audrey and Noah, um, and, and she was a stay-at-home mom. It was, it was so difficult for her to really feel like she could really serve God and be faithful to the Lord in that situation. I mean, we met in campus ministry at NYU, you know, and, and those were like days where all day long was Christian ministry stuff, right? All day long. We'd even cut class to do Christian stuff, right? I don't know how that works out. Probably not real good in the eyes of God, right? But we'd cut class to hang out and fellowship and, and, and pray and, and, and play the guitar and sing songs. And, and you're together all the time and doing all this ministry and going on mission trips and sharing the gospel. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Then when she graduated, she's a young adult and she got to be a part of a church plant being part of Remnant West Side Church, going out there and seeing a church be born and planted and how exciting that was. And I wish I could have went with her, but I didn't. I got left behind at my old church, even though I wanted to go so bad. But she, she got to go and be a part of that. I mean, that must have been so exciting. And hanging out together in young adult life with other people and fellowshipping and, and, and building the church together. But then when we got married and then when life changed, when we got kids and we had one baby, and then we had another baby. So we had a toddler and a baby. Suddenly, Christine couldn't do the things that she used to do. She really should be up here sharing this with y'all, but she couldn't, she couldn't do. If there's anything wrong, you could ask her, you know. But I was there. I was an eyewitness. She really, really struggled with this because she felt like she couldn't, she couldn't do the things that she used to do. She felt like she couldn't live out the potential and, and do the things that God had 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 in her life before, and she really, really struggled with that, and she was frustrated with that, and it took her a long time, but over the years, she eventually began to realize that, no, my, my kids aren't a limitation. This isn't a situation I need to try to fix or change somehow so that I could go back out again and party every night and, and you know, Christian parties, right, and, and fellowship and do all that kind of stuff and do all those things. But she began to realize, no, in this situation I'm in, God has assigned me a wonderful, beautiful thing to be a mom, a faithful mom to these kids, to love them, to care for them, to raise them up in the Lord and to be there for them. And maybe she can't attend all the meetings that she did before or go out and see people as much, but she would adjust and maybe it's more of a phone call. We used to do phone calls back then now uh, before all the video, or maybe praying when the kid's napping and stuff, and, and life kind of had to shift, and I know that was a challenge for her, but she eventually began to see that no, her potential was not taken away by her situation in life, but it was important for her to be able to see what has God assigned me to in this situation? How can I be faithful to God here and now where I am? And she's been able to do that in a wonderful, beautiful way. Maybe some of you are saying, you know, if only, if only I wasn't so busy with work, 
If I, only I wasn't so busy with school, then I'd really be able to be more spiritual and serve God. I, I remember there was this brother in New York um, who I, I was you know, pretty close with at the time. And I was really, really encouraged by this brother because he was a, a medical student and he was you know, going on into residency and you know, specialization and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was so used to seeing people in the medical field, once they went off into there, they kind of, you, you didn't see them very much anymore. Oftentimes, not just that you didn't see them in small group or this or that, but sometimes you, you didn't even see them at church on Sundays. It was just happened so often. But this one brother, I remember, he would still always be there. And not only that, he continued serving as a leader in the church. And he was leading small group. And he was a core part of our church. And, and one day I asked him, I said, man, you know, I'm, I'm just really encouraged by you. How do you do this? I mean, you're so busy. You have so much going on. You're married. And how do you do this? Can you continue to serve God? And you're doing all this stuff in church. What he told me was, he said, Ulysses, when I, when I went into medical school, I, I, I realized something. I realized that if I am going to serve God in the way that I, that I want to, in the way that I feel like I need to and God has called me to, I just need to accept the fact that I'm not going to be in the top 10% of my class. I just needed to accept that. I needed to make a decision that that was not the ultimate goal, the end all and be all for me. And once I did that, things were, he was able to continue to serve the Lord in the way that he felt like was faithful to God. I think in whatever situation we are in, God gives us the power because we are freed in Christ to be able to look at our situation and remain faithful to him. Viktor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he, was, uh, he talked about his uh, experiences in a Nazi concentration camp, and he was a survivor of the concentration camp, and he saw such brutality from guards to the, the prisoners, but also between prisoners, as people were just um, at their wit's end trying to survive as they were being starved to death and worked to death, and, and you see so much of this um, you know, animalistic, uh, every man for himself type of mentality, but he said he also saw some different things. He wrote, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. What a powerful quote from Viktor Frankl. How much more powerful is it that if we are in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit and God says to us that if you are in Christ, you are free, you are not enslaved, regardless of your exterior circumstances, regardless of your job, of your family, of, of whatever you find yourself in your financial situation, even if you got laid off, whatever it might be, in that situation, you can fully be free to follow Christ, to follow God. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. That is good news. 
This is what Jesus said when he came and he said, I have come to set the captives free. I've come to bring good news to the poor. Good news that no matter, even if you're poor, in Christ, you can be rich. In Christ, you can experience the freedom of, of life that God has designed for you. And this was so powerful in a day where, you know, people believed in the divine right of kings. And that, you know, if you happen to be born into nobility and the upper class, then, you know, that was, your, that, that was kind of like your destiny. And if you were really poor and you were a peasant, then too bad for you. That's your lot in life. You just got to suck it up and, and you just got to, you know, just, you know, just bear it and live that way. That was good news for those people. It's good news for the 700 million people in this world who make less than $2 a day, who live on less than $2 a day. This is good news for all of those people that God says, you don't have to be rich, you don't have to be powerful, but everybody in this world, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, in this broken world, you can live to the fullness of your potential in Christ. And that is good news. Brothers and sisters, the question is, what's enslaving you this morning? What are the if-onlys that you say to yourself? If only blank, then I'd, I'd be able to be more spiritual. Then I'd really be on fire for God. If only I had different parents. Man, if, if only I had a different wife or a different husband. If only my kids weren't so crazy. If only I had more money. If only my health were better. If only I had gone to a better university or I'd gone to university at all. If only I didn't have the past that I had and the experience that I had. Then, Jesus, I could actually live for you in a meaningful way. Christ says there are no if-onlys. Regardless of the situation that you find yourself in, you are not enslaved. You are a freed man, a freed woman in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, my challenge for us and for myself is, can we look at our situation with new eyes that you find yourself in? You know, it's crazy. Paul even says here that we should remain in the situation that God has assigned to us, that he's assigned to us. Could it be that we are, we are so concerned with changing our situation? God, if only, I, if only I could change, I gotta figure out some way to change this, God, that we're so fixated on that that it actually sabotages your ability to live out your calling right now. Maybe it causes you to miss the assignments that God has given to you in your life right now because you're so preoccupied with changing your situation. Are you so preoccupied with, I don't know, poor health? Think, man, I, I can't do anything, God, until I get better. Maybe there's somebody around you that has poor health that God has called for you, has assigned for you to go and be an encouragement to them, to encourage them. And you'd miss that if you were only focused on your own health. You're so focused on, oh, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I can't wait to get out of here. 
You're just on uh, LinkedIn all day long. And we could work at LinkedIn because of the food. I heard about that. But Glassdoor, Indeed, all those things all day long. Just want to get out of here. Man, if I had, if I had a better, better job, a better boss, but could we possibly, what if, what if God has assigned you to be in that place, to be the light of Christ to those coworkers around you who are also, who also don't like their job, <laughs> who have the same boss as you, who are also in that same place. But your goal is just to one day be like, guys, I'm out of here. <laughs> See you later. Sorry, so long. What if God has assigned you to be the light of Christ, to show them that there is greater hope in this world than their career right now, and we would miss that? What if we're so preoccupied with, with just, um, you know, you're so preoccupied, I, I'm, God, I'm renting. I just want to buy a house. Or you're preoccupied because your house is, it's okay, it's not that great. I just want to get a better house. Or I just want to get a house in a better neighborhood, in a better school district. And I just want to keep improving things. And we're so preoccupied with that that we don't even realize God has assigned the neighbors around you to you. That you are to be the ambassador of Christ to them. But we're so busy trying to get out of that place, to go somewhere else, we don't even realize that in that situation, God has assigned us there for a purpose. To the people that live on your floor, to the people that live on your block, to the people that you go to that gym in your neighborhood with. We totally overlook it. We're so preoccupied with not having enough money, always needing to accumulate more because I'm not on track with my 401k and my IRA and to be able to retire. You know how expensive it is out here and I don't even have a, own a home yet and I need to get my equity paid down. That we miss the assignment God may have given us to be able to be generous, to be able to care for others with the resources that we have right now. Trusting that if God cares for the birds of the air, he will also care for you and for me as well. Some of us were so intent on finding that perfect circle of friends, of improving the friends that we have, looking for those people we can really, really connect with and check off all those boxes that we want. Maybe we overlook the people right around us that maybe aren't exactly what we were thinking, but through the power of God, God has assigned you some incredible friendships brothers or sisters in Christ around you to journey with you, to be a community, a loving community. Are we so caught up, brothers and sisters, in changing our situation? Paul says, no, it is not your situation that is the problem. Don't worry about your situation. You need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. Brothers and sisters, God is saying you have power you have power in Christ right now. Look around you. Think about your situation, the situation that you find yourself in life, the things that you said, if only this would change. No, the power of God is there for you to be able to live as a bondservant of Christ right now in that situation. Paul says, stop being slaves to men. 
Stop being slaves to changing your situation. Stop being slaves to upward mobility. Stop being slaves to the if-only statement. This world is broken. Slavery, bond he, Paul was talking to bond servants. There were only bond servants because the world is broken, because things are so messed up. That's the reality. Paul didn't pick a perfect situation. He picked slavery. Even in this world that is filled with brokenness because of sin, through the power of Christ, we can be the, the sanctifying force of God in our situations. Paul says in verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. God is with you in your situation. He's there. Um, can we pray and ask God, Lord, would you, would you reveal to me this morning, would you show me how you are with me where I am? 